Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Open to the book of Revelation. Can I have that microphone, Andrew? Before I uh, begin, Stephen had a word you wanted to share. Stephen, go right ahead, buddy. I love being me. I love being me. And I mean, kind of, I like sometimes. I like it. And that would make me lie. I hate it. I love him first. So, so. My, my family, I'm sorry. Yeah, my, my, my family, I'm here somewhere. I'm sorry so much. I love them. And yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Thank God I love him so much. Yeah, I love him so much. And I love my dad best, my love. Yeah, I love him so much. Yeah, I've been I'm, I'm sorry so much. I love so much. Happy birthday. And yeah, I've been in here. I've been in here. No, not that. I will do. And I will do. I'm sorry. I, I love so much. See? I love so much. I love you too, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not God, God bless you, brother. Yeah, Stephen just needed to confess that and God bless you Stephen I hope you know the Lord forgives you when you confess and repent to him yeah God bless you brother open your Bibles to the book of Revelation uh, let's take a look at it together I'm not gonna read the whole book can't preach the whole book um, but uh, I've been taking these Sunday nights and trying to talk practically about how to read the Bible and how to get more out of our reading and, uh, and Revelation is, is just different. You ever read through the New Testament or, or you open up to the book of Revelation and all of a sudden you feel like you, you're in a foreign country. You feel like you've just been dropped off in, in another land. It's so different from everything else in the Bible. Why do you think that is? In your reading, what is it that makes it seem so strange or so hard to understand? What have you observed? What have you noticed in Revelation? Yeah, it's, it's, it's code. Amy says it's like, it's like John is talking in code, and indeed he is. He's talking in code. Revelation uses a lot of symbols, uh, a lot of numbers, a lot of beasts with horns and, and heads, and, and it's very difficult, very difficult sometimes to know what, what, what we're supposed to make of it. Yeah, it seems like it's talking in code. What else? It's, it's a vision, it's, it's a dream, uh, and, and yeah, it, it is just so very different from, from the rest of the New Testament. Anybody else, anything else uh, that you've noticed, anything that makes it seem so very strange? Yeah, it, it looks forward, it's projecting into the future, it's talking about things uh, to, yet to come, and, and sometimes that in itself... Uh, uh, unnerves us. We don't know how to make a, 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 about the future, especially when the future involves uh, beasts with heads and horns. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's difficult. Uh, let's take a look at it. I, I just want you to open to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, I want to read the first chapter together, calmly, and then, uh, and then we'll come back and, and, and talk just a little bit. Uh, again, Revelation chapter 1. I remind you, this is God's Word. It, it's God's Word that's inspired for us. Uh, God wants us to have this book of Revelation, and therefore I know that he has something for us in it. So just read, just, just listen, and, uh, and pay attention to what God says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a, a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. 
He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Just a, a, a little bit here. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Um, what is literally said there is it reads it out loud. Revelation is the only passage, the only book in all of Scripture that uh, there's a blessing for reading it out loud. So I don't know. In your struggles to read it, maybe if you read it out loud. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. There's a blessing for those who read it out loud. Verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who was, always, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Verse 9, this is important. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering. Underline that phrase. I'm your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, you probably already had enough. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it's difficult, it's, it, it's different, but it's in some ways not that different. We've been talking practically about reading the Bible, and I've said whenever you open the Bible to read, to ask yourself three questions. Whatever you're reading, start by asking yourself three questions. And the first question is, 
what kind of writing is this? Now remember, we've said in the Old Testament and the New Testament that there are different kinds of writing. There are letters, epistles. There are proverbs. There are laws. There are stories. There are genealogies. There are so many different kinds of writing, prophetic writings. And you don't necessarily read them all the same. If you're going to interpret what you're reading and make sense out of it, the first step is to stop and ask, what am I reading? What is this? Is this a psalm? Is this a, some sort of hymn used in worship? Or is this a story that tells me of God's greatness? What am I reading? And it's no different for Revelation. It's very important to ask, what am I reading? Second question you always ask is, what would this have meant to the people back then and there? You always are interested in the author, the one that the Holy Spirit inspired to write. And, and, and what do you think it would have meant to him and, and the people that would have first read it? How would they have understood it? Now, it may mean more to that than that to us, but you at least start there. What would it have meant to the people then and there? And then the third question, what does it mean to people like us here and now? So you see, it, it's, it's the three questions you ask. What kind of writing is this? What am I reading? What would it have meant to the people then and there, and, and what does it mean? What's the Spirit saying to people here and now? So, so if we approach Revelation, then it's the question, what kind of writing is this? What is Revelation? Okay, it, it's prophecy. It, it, it's prophecy. So in that sense, it's, it's something like reading other prophetic books. But it's still different. It's different than reading many of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. It's different than most of Isaiah, for sure. And it's certainly different from Malachi and Amos. There are parts of Daniel that sound a lot like Revelation, parts of, parts of Ezekiel. But for the most part, even putting it in the category of prophetic writings, it doesn't necessarily fit there. It's still different. But we have to relate it to, to prophetic writings. It's prophecy. But, but what else is it? We read the first chapter. It's obviously something else, and we don't always think of it in that way. It, it's a letter. It's a letter. The New Testament is filled with letters. Paul wrote letters. James's book is a letter. And Revelation is a letter. How do we know that? Yeah, it has all the features of a letter. It's just like Paul's letters in the sense that it starts out with, with who's sending it. I, John, am your brother. It starts out with the sender. And then it says who it's addressed to. It's addressed to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, there may be symbols in the book of Revelation, but, but those aren't necessarily symbols. Those are churches. Those are real cities. These are real people, and John is a real person, and the book of Revelation is written as a letter. It has all of the features of a letter. So among other things, it's, it's a letter too, but that means we have to pay attention to who John is and, and what his situation is and why he would be writing to these seven churches. When you have a letter, there's usually some occasion, there's a question, or there's a situation that needs to be addressed. Now, the wonderful thing about this letter is that it's not just John sitting down thinking about writing a letter. It's Jesus himself who says, John, I want you to write. I want you to write. A very clear command. I'm going to show you some things. I want you to write what you see. Send it in a letter to the seven churches. So it's a letter. It's prophecy. It's a letter. And what else? 
This is the word that, that, that you just, some of you may not, may not know. It, it fits into a, a, whole, a whole type of Jewish writing that's called apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic writing, and, and the Jews have other writings like Revelation. Now, they're not Scripture. They're not a part of our Scripture. But the Jews would write this sort of thing, and it's called apocalyptic. And so John, as a Jewish man, is writing the kind of literature, the kind of writing that he had seen in other places. It's, it's apocalyptic. That word apocalypse simply means to pull back the curtain. To, to, to pull back the curtain. And, and the very first Greek word in Revelation is that word apocalypse. This is an apocalypse from Jesus Christ. It means to pull back the curtain, to, to reveal what ordinarily is not visible. So what is it that's being revealed? If the curtain's being pulled back on something, what is the curtain being pulled back to show us? Something that we can't usually see. Yeah, the, the future. The future. Now, the funny thing about, about John and the Revelation is that it really pertains to things that, that, that are and things that will be, things that are yet to come. There's this real sense that some of what he's describing is happening right then. And, and honestly, a lot of what John describes are, are things that the churches in Asia would have been experiencing. It wouldn't have been strange for them. So some of what he's talking about is their world. But some of it are, are things that are going to happen soon. And then some of what he describes are things that are going to happen in, in a longer view. It's, it's about the future. It pulls a curtain back on things you can't ordinarily see. And it's about the future, but it's also in a very real sense about what God is doing all of the time. What God is doing in history. What God is doing in our suffering. In, in our suffering. Notice I, I called you to verse 9. I want you to pay attention to how John introduces himself. He says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching. And he goes on. If we've talked about what kind of writing Revelation is, it's, it's, it's prophecy, it's a letter, it's, it's apocalyptic, then understand the next question is, what would it have meant to the people back then? How would they have understood it? And so the question becomes, what was their situation? What, what is it John is trying to address? What is the, the, the question that they're asking that, that Revelation is intended to answer? And the really important thing to remember about Revelation is this is a word from God addressed and written to Christians who were being persecuted. These are suffering Christians. Most important thing to remember, the book of Revelation is written to suffering Christians. Now, do you know anything about their suffering? Well, what is their situation? Who are they? Who are these churches? What are they experiencing? Yeah, persecution. It's, it's the very beginning of it. And this is part of the horrible message of Revelation. It, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's part of the message of Revelation. Things are going to get worse. But the Christians are suffering persecution. This, these seven churches here in Asia, what, what, what are they a part of? What is their government? What, what kingdom are they uh, now brought into? 
Yeah, the Roman Empire, the, the Roman Empire. And at the, these last stages of the Roman Empire, the, the emperors became more and more obsessed with themselves, more and more determined to uh, bring unity to the empire by making everybody worship them. And so if you're going to worship the emperor, then other rival gods have to be toppled. And, and understand, Christians were not going to worship Jesus and also worship the emperor. And so the Christians were very, very harshly persecuted. And, and this is the beginning of, of that. This is the beginning. John himself is being persecuted. He has been sent into exile on, on the prison island of, of Patmos for doing what? What's his crime? For preaching. For preaching. So this is the situation. Everything that follows, understand, is a message to Christians who are suffering, to Christians who are under persecution. Now having said that, why do you think that Revelation seems to be so difficult for Christians like us in the United States? We struggle with Revelation like Christians around the world typically don't. It's, it's United States Christians who say, I read that book and I don't understand a word of it. We write all of these books about Revelation and how to understand it. There seems to be something about Revelation that we just don't get. Yeah, it's interesting. We, of all Christians in nearly all places in all history, the peculiar thing about us in the United States, we know nothing about this kind of suffering and persecution. That's foreign to us. We've never been in that situation. I know you've got that idiot brother-in-law who sometimes makes fun of you for going to church. But listen, you have never been boiled in oil like John. You've never really had to suffer for your faith. These Christians were suffering. They were going through persecution. And understand, that hasn't stopped. It's never stopped. Since this day all the way into the present day, Christians are persecuted, just not here. In other places of the world tonight, there are pastors who can be thrown in jail for doing just what I'm doing right here. Do you really understand that? Well, what I'm doing right here, opening the Bible and reading it out loud to a congregation in other countries, I could be taken to jail. We can't even understand that. We've never had to be afraid that officers could come in that back door and begin, uh, begin executing us in front of our children. We've never begun to absorb that because we've never seen anything like it. We haven't. But these Christians... We're seeing it. And also understand, Christians in other places of the world, they've seen it too. My hunch is, this is what makes Revelation so very difficult for us to understand. The situation that John is addressing, the, the kinds of people he's trying to encourage, we just don't know a whole lot about that kind of experience. I can remember preachers growing up, when I was growing up, the preachers would often preach the Revelation, and they would actually struggle with that. And, and actually, what my pastor used to preach about the rapture a lot, the, the, the idea that Christians would be snatched and taken away before the tribulation, because my preacher used to say that there's no way that God would let Christians suffer. Isn't that interesting? Interesting? I, I'm not criticizing my pastor, I, I just have to say that I don't really think he had a view 
of what Christians around the world and what Christians throughout history have had to suffer. To, to say that we might never have to suffer any kind of tribulation, do you understand? That doesn't even make any sense. Because right now, Christians are suffering. And this is what Revelation is about. It's about Christians who are suffering, Christians who are going through tribulation and persecution. And, and there are things yet to come. I'm not questioning that. But, but to even imagine that, that we might never have to suffer like that is, is just to proclaim our ignorance of the very thing that Revelation proclaims. There are some some big messages, big messages in, in Revelation. Primarily, like I say, it's written as a partner in suffering, in, in the patient endurance to what, to, to, to what Jesus calls us. So understand that the big message of Revelation is encouragement. It's encouragement. It's supposed to make you feel better. And I remind you, it doesn't have that effect on us because it just brings into our face the fact that Christians have to suffer. And that makes us depressed. But, but if you read this message in the context of people who are already suffering, they're able to get the encouragement of this. You understand? You see, Revelation is all about the church and the state. It's about the church and the state. Those beasts coming out of the water, understand? Those tend to be nations and leaders. So John is talking about the church and the state, and it's on a collision course in his world. The Roman Empire and the kingdom of God are on a collision course. And at the present moment, the state is winning. That's the problem. At the present moment that the emperor seems to be winning, Christians are dying, Christians are persecuted, Christians suffer, and the state continues to march triumphantly. How do you make sense of that? How do you begin to address a congregation suffering? How do you begin to say that, that Jesus loves you and, and that in the end everything is going to be fine when we're suffering, when we're persecuted? Well, this is the message that Jesus gives to John for the churches, the suffering churches. And, and what is the vision? What is the message? Well, he, he's taken up. And, and what's the first thing he sees? Where's the first place he goes? The throne room. The first thing he sees is this amazing worship service. There's a throne and there's someone sitting on it. And who is it? Yeah, absolutely. Is it the Roman emperor? No, there's God on the throne. There's God on the throne. God who sees, God who knows, and a God who is in control of this mess. You understand? God on the throne. It's an amazing picture, an amazing word of encouragement for people who wonder what's going on in the world. Is there anybody in charge of this mess? John writes with this incredible vision of God, majestic and awesome, still on his throne, and fully aware, fully aware of the suffering of his children and not sitting on his hands. It's, it's, it's simply an amazing message however he does indicate it's going to get worse before it gets better that's part of what John has to say it's part of what the Holy Spirit has him say it's it's going to get worse before it gets better there's one scene where the altar in heaven is rolled back and and that's where the martyrs are the people who have died for their faith and they're given this opportunity to speak and what's their question how long? 
How long? And the answer is just a little while longer. It's going to last for a little while longer, but it's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. Suffering and death are real and they're coming. It could get worse before it gets better. But now the end is glorious. Do you understand? Those of us who live such lives of comfort, the idea that it could get worse before it gets better, that isn't encouraging to us because we don't even want it to get bad. I mean, the idea that it could get a little uncomfortable for us is enough to keep us awake at night. Do you see? John's writing to people who can hardly imagine anything worse. They're just asking how much longer will we have to endure patiently. And the message of Revelation is just a little while longer. Just a, a, a little while longer. In the meantime, you don't lose faith. You, you don't lose hope. You just continue to know that there is a God who is above it all, who is in control of it all. He is on his throne. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, which means he started all of this, and he knows exactly how and when he's going to bring it to its appropriate end. God is in control. It's, it's a magnificent message. So how do you read it? If you wanted to go home tonight and just start reading, how would you read? Well, just read it. Start at the beginning and just read. Just read. Don't assume that you can't understand it. Honestly, Amy's right. A lot of it is sort of coded. It, it, it is in the, the same sort of language that, that the Jewish apocalypse uh, tend to be written. There, there are a lot of symbolic associations with numbers. Some of those you and I can understand. Some of those are just lost to us. But, but, but I'm telling you, it's still God's word for you. It's still God's word for me. So just read it. Just sit down and read it. Read it with an open mind. Read it for what you can get from it. And I promise you, you're going to get a whole lot from it. Start right at the beginning. Read those individual messages to the churches. Read those. There's nothing cryptic about those messages. Read those. It's amazing. God will speak to you. Read the part where he's speaking to the church and says, you know, I would rather you be hot or cold. As it is, you're kind of lukewarm. And that turns my stomach. That's the word of Jesus to the church. Ouch. You're lukewarm. It makes me sick, Jesus says. Ooh. See, a lot of this is, is, is plainer than you wish, perhaps. I also encourage you, if you're reading, read carefully. Lots of times, John will use a symbol, and then he'll tell you exactly what it means. We had the symbol of the stars and the lampstands, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what is that? What is that? I don't understand that. But then in 19 and 20, he tells you exactly what the stars and lampstands represent. Do you see? It's just right there. He tells you what it means, and so you don't have to wonder. And he does that throughout the book. It's mysterious, but less mysterious perhaps than you think. He sometimes will tell you exactly what this symbol means. And when he does that, then that's what it means. You don't... You don't really have to wonder. Just read through the book. Read it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and try to get a feel for the big message because the big message is important, and it's amazing, and it still applies. It especially applies to us today. It especially still applies to us. Honestly, I do believe that some of what John is talking about was about the Roman Empire, and some of it, even though it was future for them, it could be past for us. 
Some of what John predicts may have happened in the fall of the Roman Empire. They couldn't have imagined that. That's wonderful prophecy that's come to pass already. But there's no way to read the book of Revelation and say it's all past. I'm telling you, a lot of this is still future for us too. It lets us know how everything turns out. And for that, it's wonderful. It's, it's amazing. Read it for its big messages. If, if some of the individual symbols and details begin to discourage you, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Don't obsess over the things that you can't understand. Just pay a lot of attention to the things you do understand. You'll get most of it. Just read. Just read. Honestly, a lot of the problem with reading Revelation in the United States is for about the last 40, 50 years, we've had a lot of teachers and preachers who confused us. Just honestly, they confused us. They didn't read it well. They added a lot to it. They published a lot of books, and more people read their books than read the book of Revelation. You understand? Some of you have probably read books on Revelation and never read Revelation because you assume you can't understand it. And when you come to read it, you say, oh, my goodness, I don't see all of that in it. All the stuff my preacher talked about, the chart he drew, I don't see that. Well, maybe if you don't see it in the Bible, that says something about your preacher's chart. Turn with me to the end of Revelation. Very unique. One of the unique features. And it ought to make us humble. It ought to make us tremble a bit. It's how Revelation ends. Chapter 22. It says this. Verse 18. Revelation 22, 18. I solemnly declare... To everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book. You ready? If anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There is a curse at the end of the book of Revelation, a curse on anybody who tries to add to it. So if you wonder why I don't do a lot of speculation about the book of Revelation, it's forbidden to do that. It's forbidden. You don't get to add to it. This is what we have. And there are still a lot of questions that remain. The questions that remain are obviously questions that the Holy Spirit left to remain. We don't get to fill in the blanks. We just don't. You don't get to do that. And when you run across the teacher or the preacher who seems to know more about the second coming than Revelation seems to know about the second coming, guess what? You just met a guy who's making a lot of it up. You don't get to know more than the Bible knows. Jesus was very, very clear in his instructions about the second coming, very clear about the fact that nobody knows and nobody's going to know. So if you run across somebody who seems to know, guess what? They don't know. They're not going to know. The Bible we have is the Bible God intends that we have. And the information we have about how everything ends is all that God gives us. 
It doesn't satisfy everybody. It doesn't answer all your questions. And there sure is a lot of room to dig in and bring your questions to, to faithful reading and the voice of the Holy Spirit. But I'm still telling you, you're not going to get to come out knowing more than the Bible knows. And the Bible probably says less than you wish it says. But what it says is true. And what it says is exactly what God wants you to know. So read. Read the book of Revelation. Read it out loud. Read it. The things that you can understand, put in practice in your life. The words of encouragement, the beautiful visions of heaven. I'm telling you, hold those close to your heart. The knowledge that there is a God who's going to wipe every tear from all of our eyes. How can you not love that promise? The, the knowledge that there is a God on the throne. That, that yes, sometimes in, in this world we're going to face trouble and tribulation. But still, we have an overcoming God who is the first and the last. You understand? What? The Bible has for us is what God wants us to have. So read it. Read it. Love it. Believe it. And, uh, and obey it always. Any final thoughts? Anything? Let's stand. Uh, let's sing the last song. Uh, Andrew, please.